Source for Stateside Views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Ryan. Unfortunately for us, but fortunately for Alex, he does not have to join us today for this episode, which in which we will be covering Everton's 2-1 loss to Norwich City. Everton losing their first away match against a team sitting bottom of the Premier League table since 2004. They were unbeaten in 17 matches prior to that. Is that good? I don't think it's good, Ryan. It sounds bad, actually. As a matter of fact, it sounds bad. exactly the opposite of good. And furthermore, Everton now, following today's match, have the fewest points in the Premier League since the start of October, three and a half months. Everton on six points, just ahead or behind Watford, who have picked up just seven in that period. Rumors now widely circulating that Rafa Benitez is due to be sacked by Everton Football Club after just about six months in charge. We will, of course, be talking about that in great detail once we get through the match timeline. Now, on the match today, Ryan, give us your instant reaction. Not impressive. Uh, we'll get into the setup. I think we could talk through the root causes why, but just never looked organized again. Never looked particularly dangerous. Um, and much of that has to do with the setup and the manager. You know, I'm tired. It's not the injuries the players, it's just a bad performance all the way around. Yeah, there were some individual mistakes, but you know, I mean, you're setting yourself up to fail almost every time. It's eventually going to happen that way. I don't know. What What are your thoughts? Just diabolical across the board. Um, and, and though there were indeed some individual errors made in this match that perhaps might give some a little bit of symphony, sympathy for Rafael Benitez, it was clearly, even after conceding, incredibly disorganized and the excuses just started to dwindle had a basically fully healthy team today bar a couple of absentees which we'll touch on in a sec it's been a horrible run of form it feels like groundhog day doing these podcasts in some sense where we're just saying the same things obvious mistakes made time and time again and i think this was really the nail in the coffin because norwich are a horrible horrible side and everton have managed to beat some of the horrible, horrible sides up until this point, but obviously we're not able to today. And we did have a couple people, a few people on the Discord correctly predict Everton's demise. At Carroll Road, we had Rolland predict 2-1 Norwich. Rafa out, double double correct prediction. He gets 2x credit for that. We also had FM Warrior 19 and Matt 1122, our favorite contrarian in the Discord server. If you're not on the Discord, you should absolutely join invite.gg slash ATP. We'll get you in there. Great community. And if you want to follow us on social media and all of that good stuff, you can find all our links at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. I mean, look, even if a headless Thompson gunner, Roland, can get a prediction right, I mean, things are not, things aren't good. You know what I mean? That's the bottom line. Um, but yeah, so let's uh, let's get us into the Norch lineup first, do you think, Hamas? Um Let's do it. It's not good. Uh <laughs> They had two changes from their 2-0 loss to West Ham in which they looked predictably bad. I think McLean is ill. Plesheta is out. Uh, he's a talented player, but maybe not quite there. Sorensen is in in the midfield, and Josh Sargent is back after having his first child, I believe. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> in the notes, James has written, good thing Roth isn't their manager or Sargent had been sold by now. That's just 
That's vicious. But, um, That's uh, what Javi Alonso quote. Look, I, I would love to get into the tactical aptitudes of Norwich's four back line and typically four four two. So, yeah, he's been mixing around with it a little bit, but it's mostly four in the back. But look, they have a negative thirty six goal differential. I mean, it's like double digits worse than anyone else. They've lost six matches in a row. They haven't scored since November. They are terrible. Uh, so I don't. I, and you look at that lineup. I mean. Puki is dangerous in the championship. I mean, Josh Sargent playing right wing. Ida is young. I, I don't. Rashika is probably their most dangerous guy. I mean, who do you point to? Max Aaron's the person that some of our fan base thought it would be brilliant to buy him for 30 million pounds. <laughs> uh, just you look at this team and you're like, yeah, this shouldn't be too tough. Um, but there are at least people in kind of the right spot. Unlike the Everton lineup, James, why don't you walk us through this debacle? Because I feel like every lineup we ask questions like, what is he thinking? This is kind of another level, I think. Yeah, it was absurd coming out. I mean, so we know Dominic Calvert-Lewin was rested against Hull because of fears of potentially re-aggravating his injury. He comes in and it's like, okay, good. We have Dom back. We can put some pace around him, potentially build up the attack. No, actually, no, Ryan. We're going to play Solomon Rondon as well. In a front two, what it looked like a front two, at least when the lineup dropped, backed by a midfield two of Andre Gomez and Abdullah Decore. Alon conspicuously absent. Uh, Benitez alluded to in his pre-match press conference that the uh, we did have at least one COVID case. Presumably, I think people connected the dots and said that may have been Alon. So Gomez comes in alongside Decore. You get Anthony Gordon out on the right. Damari Gray on the left in a midfield flat four. Seamus Coleman starting at right back still, still getting trotted out there with Godfrey and Michael Keane in the center of defense with Vitaly Mikolenko getting his first Premier League start. We'll get into his performance. Could have gone slightly better for him. But then also, you know, maybe some options off the bench for Benitez should he need to change the game. You've got Patterson there, Richarlison, Yerry Mina, Townsend, JPG, and new signing Anwar El Ghazi, who I don't know how much time we'll dedicate to on this show, but uh, we've if you followed us on Twitter, you've seen comments on El Ghazi. So regardless, that is probably the best bench Everton have been able to name in some time. And really, not many excuses in terms of personnel availability remaining for Benitez. Again, going up against the Norwich side who haven't scored in six games, ship goals left, right, and center, and are just generally guaranteed to go down more or less. I I've never seen... I haven't seen Rafa. I mean, I went and did a lot of research on him. Uh, if anyone's interested, we did a bunch of pods early in the season on team assessment. We walked through Benitez's tactics, kind of how he likes to play and who fit and who doesn't. Um, I don't remember him playing two pure center forwards like that. Uh, it's almost always been a single striker with either a 10 sitting behind him in his 4-2-3-1 or that second striker kind of roaming around. Him. You know, Rondon would play with Iosi Perez, uh, you know, he tried to do it with Garrett Bale at Madrid, but it was just awkward to watch. That team is still loaded. This one's strange to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, injuries, I guess. I mean, there are excuses here, but it's Norwich. Like, I'm sorry. It, you know, when you're not set up right every single week, I don't know what to say. So, I mean, you look at how it played out. I mean, Rondon and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, the chemistry was not there, which makes sense because neither of those two. I mean, someone's got to play us more of the second striker or like a 10 there were times where Ronan was literally dropping deep in the first half, like a 10. And I'm just thinking, what on earth is he going to do with that? And you look at kind of their average position. I mean, Michael, Michalinko is a defensive fullback very much. Um, 
and he's pushing Coleman up. I mean, that's the theory. I, I, I just don't, don't see how that makes any sense whatsoever. And especially when he was doing it with Luca Dean, it just kind of speaks to the fact that Roth has no interest really in trying to get the most out of his current players. He just wants to build a project from scratch and, and that's not okay. I mean, I, I don't understand that at all. Even David Moyes, who really takes ownership of a lot of the stuff they're doing at West Ham is getting a lot out of his current players. And it, you were just not seeing that with, with Benitez. But yeah, you look at the shape. I mean, Gray and Gordon were pushed up high, very much in isolation. And Orange kind of stacked the middle and, and pushed us out wide pretty much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at the um, average attacking sides and Norwich essentially almost exclusively attacked down the right-hand side, 46% of their attack coming down there, right? So looking to... Max Aarons like, was pushed sure. way up the whole thing and Sargent kind of tucked in a bit, right? I mean, that that's... And they were going right at Michalinko for sure because he was back. I mean, they were con well, they're conceding that space, exactly. you know, and who do you have on that side? Andre. So, so, and Gray doesn't play any defense. So it's exactly what Luca Dean had to deal with. Now, Michalinko should be more capable of, of dealing with it. But again, this is this part of the issue with having a midfield too. Yeah, of course. We're just vacating the middle and we, only 24% of our attack came down the middle in any way, shape or form. 40% down the right, 37% down the left. So balanced on either wing comparatively, but still some gaping holes in Norwich were able to find acres and acres of space because oftentimes Mikolenko, when he did choose to get forward, he doesn't really have the recovery pace required to get back. Aaron's obviously bursting forward and looking to exploit that space. So it was a big problem. And then, of course, Gray, not the most adept attack tracking back or playing defense. So Norwich were able to come out of the gates hot, put us on the back foot at Carroll road in front of their home fans. Um, and we came out flat yet again, yet again, Ryan. I mean, I don't know what the issue is with Everton coming out of the gates, looking like they just came off of a two month vacation, but from the get go, it was Norwich looking like the better side. Yeah. They had the ball early and kept it. I mean, that that's the amazing part about it because the ending possession battle was us by a mile. But leading up, you know, the first 20 minutes or so, they had the ball 56% of the time. And yeah, I mean, never did you see Gray or Gordon with the ball with anyone around them, really. You know what I mean? It was always right down the middle where we have to cross it. I mean, did you ever see Gray cut inside and have someone to his left as an option? No, almost never. Coleman wasn't getting up and supporting Gordon except for from deep. Um, it, it was, again, bad, bad start. I mean, I, I feel like I tweeted out every single match. Um Getting in through the timeline, too, I mean, there was, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I, I just, Andre running around kind of like an idiot. Uh, or it was, again, us playing the super compact, overextended, over-pursuing defense the second they got the ball kind of into our final third. And it just really wasn't working. And we looked really disorganized. Yeah. And Rondon, as you said, essentially playing as the 10. I mean, he was dropping back into our penalty area to defend at certain moments. It was crazy. I mean, the guy works hard. We talked about it last episode. He works hard, but the instructions there, the tactical setup, I can't imagine in what world Benitez thinks that that's an appropriate use of the player. Anyway, early on in the match, I mean, we get an early set piece. Damari Gray steps up to take it. Guess he's the only guy we have that's remotely decent at set pieces, though. Uh, Anthony Gordon would, of course, take some, as well as Vitaly Mikolenko. Uh, eighth minute, Michael Keane gives away a set piece in a really dangerous area, a poor foul and a foreshadowing of what would end up being a very poor match for Michael Keane. Um, tenth minute, Tamari Gray wins a free kick in a dangerous area for us, but it looks like he, he goes down like he got clipped. It didn't look like there was a ton of contact, and it goes back to this recurring theme, Ryan, which we would see again today. 
we just like to dive. We've got Damari Gray and Anthony Gordon who both go to ground quite easily. And Richarlison's usually the guy that's infamous for that on Everton. I think we're just desperate. You know, you've got guys out there in isolation and they're being forced to just take guys on, you know, because there's not great structure when we have the ball. And and Um, guys running at three or four players, hopeless, really create anything. And so they just are forced to go down. It's you're right. Desperation perfectly describes it. Yeah. And so, you know, there were a couple opportunities early, but really Norwich is kind of on the front foot and you could just tell we were shaky and nervous and looked disorganized. Um, in the 12th minute, I feel like this is their first shot on target. It was a decent shot, too. They only had, I think, what, two in the first half that got actually on target. Um, Josh Sargent has a battle, basically, with Mikalenko and eventually just swats him away like a fly. Josh Sargent's not a small guy, so you put him out in the wide spaces. He is physical, and although he's not been scoring a lot, he's decently creative, at least for more of a center forward type, kind of gets the ball. The ball kind of falls to Lise Malou. Um, he hits a really good shot, frankly, from distance low into Pickford's right. Pick makes a nice save. It wasn't that dangerous. It was a good shot. Again, that's, you know, unfortunately, we've had some trouble with that space kind of in front of the center halves. It was a little bit of that. Um, you know, finally, Damari Gray gets loose. He gets a decent shot on goal. Never was dangerous. Maybe stung Cruel's hands. He looked dangerous at times, but this was one of those matches where Damari Gray just had his head down basically the whole match running at people. And it, this is one of, he's been really good for us. You know, it's been a great signing. Uh, you know, that low release clause was a risk worth taking. And he's had plenty of opportunities, but every now and then he'll have games where you just want to be like, get your head up, man. Because that's the thing. You should not be able to strike a ball as well as he can and then have such inaccuracy in your crossing and some of your longer passes. And that's all it is, really. You know, it's kind of vision and awareness. Um, but that's what it was. And, and sure enough, eventually, you know, we didn't take any of the chances early. They started building confidence. And this the first goal was just brutal. Absolutely. Gut-wrenching. It goes 1-0 to Norwich. Brutal own goal. Josh Sargent, free on the right-hand side. Uh, he sneaks across in. Michael Keane, near post, uh, obviously the position he's in, he has to try to make a play on it, but he doesn't really adjust his body all that well. Um, Mikalenko and Gray are both sort of on Sargent um, or like both paired up in that corner trying to block the crosses from coming in. Keane reaches out, extends kind of awkwardly and deflects it, trying to get it out of bounds, ends up sneaking in the near post past Jordan Pickford. Again, Norwich's first goal in six matches, and that was the catalyst to spur them on to uh, shortly after get their second. Yeah, Mikalenko, I, I would like to get him a little more aggressively on Josh Sargent, but in his defense, he's kind of covering for Gray. So I don't mind that he's tight. I don't think he knows Sargent very well, or else he may be more aggressive going at him, because it's not like Josh is going to blow by him with with pace or anything. But yeah, sure enough, basically a minute later, later in the 17th, um, God, this was just a catastrophe on so many levels. I mean, the ball's in the final third on the left side, our left side. Ronan kind of loses it, but it comes out to Coleman. So you're thinking, oh, we've got him. You know, we're putting pressure on them. He makes a lazy pass to Gordon. Now, Gordon's running kind of away from him, but I think this is on Coleman. The worst part is the second he hits it, he starts running forward. Like, Seamus, the ball's not going to get to him, man. You can't do that. Williams picks it off, who I thought was pretty good today. Dashes with it, takes off. Coleman's caught up. Um, Andre is a bit higher too, because again, we have the ball down lower. Decorey, of course, is higher. Mikalinko's tracking back. And really what happens is Williams takes off and Godfrey's back. Keen's back. We got Pookie running straight. And then Ida is kind of down the middle too. Godfrey drops back. 
Akeen doesn't, Akeen's kind of looking over his shoulder, but he never really turns to take Ida. He sees the pass come in. It's almost like a through ball to split um, pass, bypass Pookie and get a Dida. And Keen, I don't know what he's doing here. He doesn't really cover anyone. I think he thinks halfway that he can get to the ball, but he doesn't turn well. I think we know that. Doesn't get to the ball. It gets through him. And the worst part is it kind of is unlucky for Pickford, too. Ida gets it and makes a bad first touch, like a heavy one. I think otherwise Pickford probably stays home. Um, jumps forward with it because otherwise Mikalinko maybe gets to him at this point, but pick sees the big touch comes out for it and just does nothing with it. He slots it home, barely hits it. I mean, it's, it's two nil at this point. I'm literally laughing out loud thinking, Oh my heavens, this team has not scored since November and they've just scored twice. I mean, first 20 minutes, every time I just, I cannot believe how you can know so little about your squad at this point and so little about the team you're going against for this to happen. I mean, again, they've got the ball the whole time. You know, we won the ba ball back. Well, I felt like at this point we we're like 12 of 14 for tackles, but we couldn't pass the ball either. It was like 78% passing. It's just bad on every level. We just look disorganized. And really, I felt like the rest of the half, we weren't particularly dangerous. No, we never really looked like getting a goal before half to get us back into the match. Again, the, the disjointedness between Rondon, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Damari Gray, like the front four, even Anthony Gordon, you know, Gray and Gordon were getting the ball a lot in wide areas with a little space, but they were quickly closed down and we were never really able to craft any or orchestrate any sort of move to break down Norwich's defense. Now you're looking at Norwich, they're up to nil inside the first 20 minutes and they're thinking, we'll take that. Thank you very much. We'll sit back and defend and we'll look to just see this out. And at that point, it was really difficult for us. Further that with the combination of Decore and Andre Gomez in midfield, I mean, you're asking a lot of those two guys, especially Andre Gomez, who's not good in a two-man midfield, as we all know. Uh, he was three for three in tackles. He was doing a good job with, of retaining possession in certain situations, at least on the ball, but was maybe a little too sloppy in giving it away. And it's hard because neither of those guys are ones that you want super deep, but of the two, probably want Decore going more box-to-box, -box, and we know Andre's not great in the final third i mean look after the 20th minute after they scored possession was 68 percent for everton i mean the numbers are overwhelming like five to zero in dribbles you know we, we actually this is like the only period of the game we actually won the ball in the air at all we had four shots but only two were weak on target i mean that's all you can produce with 68 percent of the ball i mean norwich had to be howling of laughter they just got compact and just laughed they're like you have no game plan you have nothing all it was is firing crosses into the middle um, and it wasn't like Norwich wasn't possessing the ball very well either. Sorensen was all over the place, by the way, for Norwich winning tackles. Um, and, and it kind of went to the half that way. You know, you're hoping, Hey, you know, maybe we'll score one here at the end. And we had the ball a lot, but really nothing, really nothing like a week's shot from Rondon and a little bit of a scuffed shot by Calvert-Lewin on a, on a, almost a 50, 50 ball. We get in the halftime and I'm thinking he has got to change something up because there's just no plan going forward. So sure enough, second half we come out. How's it look? Exactly same the thing. Same. Exactly the same. No changes at half. I, I just, you're down two nil to the worst team by my only. And you've got Richarlison on the bench. You've got options yeah. to bring in. And of course he would eventually bring him in, but not before the 50th minute when the new boy, oh. Mikolenko almost uh, had a, well, had a moment to forget, almost a moment to go, you know, crawl under your covers and pretend the world doesn't exist because he just completely loses concentration. It's us trying to clear the ball. It goes out to Mikolenko. 
Uh, Norwich are he, he gives it to Ida. He passes it back, thinking Jordan Pickford is alone. Ida, who is out of the play and just sort of walking back, it's like, oh, hello, thank you, I'll take that. Uh, turns and really should make it three nil at that point. Godfrey saves our skins with a really good recovery and clearance, but that was, I mean, you saw immediately Mikaleko passed it, immediately put his hands up to his face, couldn't believe he was that foolish, and yeah, just one of those things you get from an inexperienced player who isn't super switched on at all the time. Yeah. I don't think we'll see that much of him doing that type of thing yeah. going forward. If anything, I think he's very cautious with the ball and very smart player, but yeah, exactly what you said. And, and, and look, he waits. He finally in the 54th minute brings Mina and Richarlison in for Seamus and Rondon. My first initial thought was if either of these guys get injured because you, you presumably didn't start them because they're not fit or it's an injury risk. I don't know why, but, what is the point of bringing him in the 54th? Bring him in right after the half. Like, seriously, that way you have time to set up because now you've switched positions. You've ultimately dropped Gray down the middle, Richarlison kind of playing on that left side, which is funny considering he was playing Richarlison down the middle when he made that revelation change at halftime at Southampton. I mean, the bottom line is that neither him nor Gray work very well in the middle deeper. You know, um, Richardson maybe can act as that four one one type player, but that's not the type of formation to play when you want to control the game. And uh, in theory, we were controlling the game in terms of having the ball. But this is, I mean, what were your thoughts when they when he first made this sub combined with kind of them not making any changes at half? Yeah, it's just overdue. I was thinking that first half was so poor that I can't imagine any manager in their right mind would think that it made any sense to continue with that for another second, much less another 10 minutes or yeah, nearly 10 minutes. So for him to bring on, and again, Michael Keane at that point was having a pretty shocking match all around. I, I mean, they, they look, we had the ball in that little period of time before the subs, 67% possession. They had two shots to our nil. I mean, they look more dangerous than it. So one was the pass back, but it's like, what is, I mean, what could, I mean, you didn't do anything at halftime at all. Like it felt like, I don't know. So finally we make the subs and we start playing a little bit, of course, and, and we finally get a goal and we think maybe we're back into this. Um, I don't want to say it was against the run of play. It was off a set piece, which I guess is good, but I think this is a bit of a goalkeeper mistake rather than a moment of brilliance for us. Although Richarlison's finishing deserves a lot of credit for this one. It was pretty well. It was unbelievable. Yeah. It's a corner. Um, Cruel has the opportunity to punch it out. He kind of flubs it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a corner. Like, it's the one where Gray kind of hits it way over way to the left. Mika Linko actually makes a decent play running up and one time kind of volleying crosses it into the middle. I, I think he's Cruel's got to do better with this, though, don't you? Yeah, think? He, he punches it, but it weakly doesn't even get out of the box where Charleston there and the form there uh, on the bicycle kick was excellent. Nice. But... You got to think not only does Cruel probably need to do better to punch it out in the first place, but maybe better recovery to get back for the save. But we do have guys. Uh, it's Godfrey and Mina who are boxing him out, making things difficult. Yeah, they did a pretty good job. I mean, Ben Godfrey, I think, maybe even gotten away with one a little bit, kind of grabbing him on the side. But that's just being smart. You know, he's a tough, combative guy. Give him a little credit for it. Um, <laughs> the most shocking thing happened in the 66. Max Aaron's finally getting a yellow. I mean, how... Unbelievable. There are two or two or three times earlier in the game. I'm thinking, are you, are you serious? Um, again, it was another Premier League match where I felt like I saw about 15 fouls, about three or four of which were called. Some were dives, of course. Um, 
<laughs> Anthony Gordon was so mad at a missed call on a dive in the first half. I can't believe Gordon didn't get yellowed for just accosting the ref. And then Gordon dove again in the 68th and the other line. Uh, he didn't say anything to him because he probably knew it was a dive. But at this point, I made this tweet, James, and and I think, you know, my comment was to put things in perspective, and I showed how bad Norwich is. I mean, they've given up 44 goals so far in the league, and we just, we just didn't look like scoring. I mean, really, it took that set piece, and and then Norwich made some subs that I think were effective. You know, Williams comes out in the eleventh, in the, pardon me, in the seventy seventh. I thought he did well, but Byram's more of a bigger guy, kind of better if they're going to pack it in, and they did. Williams did a good job on Gordon today. Gordon was energetic, but again, not not. I don't think the quality was there. Aaron's finally comes out in the eightieth, probably smart because I could have seen him getting a red card for sure, and you don't need him to really get the attack anymore. And he had um, gone in on a few challenges and come up worse yeah. for wear afterwards as well. True. Um. So. He's not a big guy. He was gimping pretty good, I think. Yeah, he was uh he was okay, but yeah, some collisions. And as you said, the game Norwich really started to let things uh get very physical and we're not shy of fouling or going down and pretending to be injured for minutes on end. Hence why we ended up with I think 7 minutes of stoppage time. But yeah, uh, on Anthony Gordon, look, the kid's got a lot of industry to his game. He works incredibly hard, but him him on Brandon Williams today I thought was actually a really good battle one that Williams eventually did come out the better uh four so does he have to do better in the 83rd minute because i would argue that this is really our one good chance in the second half which is pathetic to say that um gray kind of has that cross in the far post overhead yeah. godfrey gets there right 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 and godfrey gets there and hangs on to it and hooks it back to gordon nice little play there i mean he's got a great chance here it seems like all he has to do is go high and he hits it right into Giannoulis's back I mean, it's a good play by Giannoulis. He's tight on him, but I think he's got to do a little bit better there, too. He's probably tired, frankly. I mean, I thought earlier he looked pretty exhausted. And and making that sub for Byram, now you got fresh legs in on him. By the way, think about both those subs. They subbed out their fullbacks, knowing that our only attack really was in the wide spaces with guys trying taking people on. That's a, Those are pretty smart subs. You know, what's, what's I, I got to give him credit. What, what's, what's that like? What's it like to have a man who yeah. smart subs? Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Um, well, first of all, I mean, Gordon's quality today. I mean, look, he had a shot. That was it. He had a key pass. Um, foul twice, dove a lot, got mad at the linesman. That's right. <laughs> Five turnovers, one for four in crosses. I mean, the output just really wasn't there for him. But again, he's pretty isolated. I mean, did, did you ever see Seamus Coleman provide him an outlet on the wide sp spaces? No. He's playing on the wrong side. I think he's much better in the left cutting inside. Um, just a tough match, I think, overall for him when everyone's kind of got it packed in. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, we really didn't look that dangerous. I can't believe Norwich, too, um, didn't score on that two on one at the end. Rashika hits the post on a two on one barely, and they blew the whistle dead after that. I mean, I never really at one pot, spot, uh, I think in the second half, thought we were going to tie it up. I don't know how you felt about it. I mean, did you ever get that feeling at all? I really never did. No, that Gordon chance was really the one, as you said, uh, and he does have to do better. He puts himself in some good positions, but just the end product uh, needs some work. And no, and I think you'll get there. I agree. I mean, he's changed a lot as a player. I think he has, he's developing and like these minutes will only be good for him in the long run, but you just want that little bit of extra quality, especially in those big moments. And to your point, no, it never felt like we were ever really going to have the chance to get an equalizer. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, a complete passenger today. We just were not able to get him involved at all for a player who, you know, we rely so heavily on in the past to score a lot of our goals. We were able to get him next to no service. Um, despite the fact that we had 29 crosses on the day, Ryan, 
which seems really high to me. It did not feel like 29 crosses. It felt like far fewer. And we, it felt like even of those 29, maybe one or two were remotely threatening. A lot were overhit. A lot were (laughs) out of bounds. Even in some cases, the infamous uh, Mikolenko one that he tried to just, I don't know if it was a cross, but just skied it again, not to pile on the kid because I like him, but. Some he was playing okay to that point, too. I mean, I, I think the key is understanding the player. I think that's important. So we did a lot of research on him. We kind of know what to expect. So, I mean, it's not – I wasn't really expecting to be a dynamic attacking player. But, right. yeah, 29 crosses. I mean, are you kidding me? And the worst part about it is after Richarlison scores, you're thinking we're going to come out after him. Really didn't. I mean, they outshot us 5-4 to four after that point. It was tied 2-2 two to two in corners. We only had two corners after that. Only one shot on target despite having 62.8% of the ball – after that goal look info goal at the end and again it's not the best model has the xg at 1.41 versus 0.88 i mean that's not good and yeah i agree i didn't feel like 29 crosses i mean the game was played really in our third and in the middle third i mean it really wasn't played in their third very well but this shouldn't be a surprise i mean rafael benitez just does not know how to do anything in possession he doesn't structure also the pressure higher. So he's not going to come out and be expansive and do anything very effectively. But I think the worst part is, so they sat back. In the second half, in aerials, we were three for 14. They won 11 for 14. Think about that. Because we had no ideas, man. 29 crosses, it really is probably right. It was us just kind of firing the ball inside. And the things we got nothing from midfield to, Decore was not particularly effective or active. I mean, Andre had... What, four turnovers for the game? He was three for 11 in long balls. And that three for three tackles in the first half. In the second half, one for four. And so, yes, that's great that we had the ball, but we did nothing with it. Um, And that's fine if you have the ball from the early get-go. You know what I mean? That's okay. But look, I mean, Ben Godfrey tied for the team lead and key passes with two. Gray had two. And I think he was on set pieces. Yeah. I mean, That's what can all. you say? And like you said, Michael Keane had a, had a very bad match. He did, yeah. Look, he had the own goal. Just all-around poor play in the second, getting caught out of position. I felt for him because he did have to come out wide to cover some of Norwich's runs bursting forward, which obviously not his strong suit, but ended with three tackles and three interceptions along with that four fouls. Six for 10 in long balls, which is actually halfway decent, but none of those really ended up creating anything or spurring any further attack from Everton. So it's kind of just hoof it long, complete it, and then everything kind of dies there. Yeah, and, and look, we, there was just too much on Damari Gray, you know, and, and I mean, so I made yeah. this point when we first were looking at Damari. Yeah, again, every time it's like that. I made this point when we signed Damari Gray. Everyone was saying he can really strike a ball with his right foot and really cross a ball. And I'm like, yes, he can strike a ball really well. But why is his crossing percentage so low, like brutally low? One of the worst that you guys you could possibly get. And I watched him at Leverkusen. One of the reasons why I watched him before that is because he gets stuck getting his head down. He was two for 15 in crosses today. 15 crosses. I mean, if that doesn't speak to the lack of invention on this side, and not just him, if he has no alternatives to the left and he has no square ball to his right, really, and a couple times he did in the second half, that's not good, man. He's not Anthony Townsend, too, or Andres Townsend, who's just firing the ball inside. He was two for two in long balls, two shots, two key passes. Again, fouled four times. I'd foul the heck out of him every time he got it. But he had six turnovers because he's just bearing too much. And really, what it comes down to is you have a manager that set us up improperly, is lacking invention. And I just, at this point, I'm sure, and first of all, we literally had a supporter. They didn't show him on TV, run onto the field. And I don't know what he did, but it sounded like he was not too thrilled with Rafael Benitez. And I think most people aren't 
So the Rafael Benitez question is the natural one that has to be asked after that performance, not just the score. The performance itself is terrible. Absolutely terrible. And it's not just this performance, as you all know, if you've been watching the team, it's been months of this. But we do have breaking from pretty much most outlets, it seems at this point, time of recording around 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, that he has been fired. It's just a formality at this point of making the announcement. And we have a lot of really good listener comments to help kind of spur this conversation, which we'll talk about. I think everyone feeling a little bit of a sense of relief knowing that this nightmare of Benitez's tenure may be coming to an end, but it certainly doesn't all stop with the manager. It goes well beyond that into the hierarchy of the club. But let's start with the comments on Rafa. And first we have Michael Potter at mpotter44 said, some quote unquote projects have losses with positives to cling to for the long-term journey. You can see it slowly being built. That is not EFC. Every team plays its best against us, deserves their points, and we continue to cling to defenseless choices at all levels of the club. Just sad. I think that, and we did a spaces post-match. And many it was excellent, saying, by the way. I listened to it, guys. I swear to God, I was listening. I didn't say anything, but I, I thought it was, people were really earnest. I, I really appreciate our listeners. I so much do. I feel like, especially the Discord, the people on it, I feel like we have good rational conversation. We can laugh at each other, but man, people are just... You know, I think the decisive, the divisiveness is so bad. But th I mean, what is the defense at this point of Rafael Benitez? Is is there one? Well, he would tell you that the problems at Everton have existed for five years, and it's going to take yeah to fix I, them. Um, but what a bunch of garbage that is! My God, it's all self created at this point. What are these problems? And we, you know what I mean? The problem, what problems? The problems of within the team that got fifty nine points last year. That yeah, the players are okay. We get it. Okay, we know. That does not excuse the problem. I mean, where's the accountability on the manager himself? You know, this player audit thing is probably the worst thing he ever said. Yeah. Because ultimately, it's so obvious he doesn't give a flip about the current players or putting them in a good position. He doesn't care if they come or they go. I mean, that's pretty obvious. So if he doesn't, I'm sorry, man. A lot of people can come in and say, I'll tell you what. You just buy me all new players over the next three or four years, and I'm going to turn you into a winner. Wow. Amazing manager, right? Yeah. Is that guy worth what we're paying him? We'll get to that in a second. Um, but yeah, I think the feelings are just down. You know, Everton tweeter at tweeter Everton up all night coming up with that name. Um, you want me to compress how I'm feeling after watching that into a tweet? Things were better when Voldemort was in charge. That's when you know things have hit rock bottom when people are saying they want he who shall not be named to come back to the club. And I'd have to agree because even though the football was diabolical and the fan base was divided in, in some similar ways, we were at least squeaking out results here and there. With Benitez, we're getting the horrible football and terrible results to go along with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that just I think that's a really fair reaction. And that really is. There's You've got fan, people who have been watching this club for 40 years. Watch the club in the 90s when we were flirting with relegation that have said this is the worst they've ever seen it by far. And that speaks volumes. Well, the talent level is not comparable. Sure. You know, uh, there's too much talent on this to be as underperforming as it is. A lot of people are like, well, your players aren't good. 500 million, all that other garbage. You're not really paying attention if you're saying stuff like that, because you need to evaluate the manager on the things that he's accountable for. Um, and Peter Rabbit 68 at Peter Rabbit 68, longtime contributor to the pod. I appreciate his opinions, and I think he gets this one spot on. Yeah. Every game is the same. The setup is bizarre. 
the play is passive and defensive. We concede due to sloppy defending and we have no midfield. So all turnovers are breakaways. Then we toss the plan late on a try to get something from the match. That's six from 39 points. Rafa out. Amen. Perfectly said. Poor Brian J. Henry. Next up uh, at Brian James Henry <laughs> said plan for Everton to be a nice hobby and distraction from American politics. Not sure which is more painful to watch at the moment. Yeah, Everton is not for the casual person, man. No. We all get sucked in. That's the thing. The people just deserve better. The fans you know are I mean? so much better for the emotional investment. They're incredible. We have people, you know, we've had a couple of people hop on the Discord that have said like, hey, I'm a new fan. It's like, <laughs> you picked an interesting time to hop on the boat because uh, it's sinking fast right now. Yeah, and, and Jaden Sherman at Mr. Shermanator 8. Uh, again, longtime listener. Same old song and dance, only this time we have all our players back. Undermanned in midfield, terrible defending, conceding first, awful first half. Can't see how he survives this. Most managers would get more from the squad. Yeah, you got you. You can't keep blaming injuries for everything. That doesn't excuse you for not being able to set up the team and put people in positions to succeed. And some of those guys on the bench that he's just ignoring are better, at least in setups, than than what we've got in there. Yeah, DL is the one who comes on here, and he's. He's been pretty vocal up front about Benitez, and, and he's very researched. DL knows what he's talking about. I like his comments here, but this is you're always going to get it harsh and straight from DL, and yeah. we appreciate him for that, and this is that. Candidates can be, he said, worst in my 40 years. A clueless and incompetent manager in Benitez that's been allowed to do irreparable harm by a totally incompetent owner in Moshiri. The quote brands who tried to tell us, is it only the players? He has to go today, now. And the brand stuff is spot on. Look, and maybe we leave it for the end because we have one more listener comment um, from the Nardling who said the scariest part of it is that nobody had a terrible performance. New guy and Keen were not good, but the other eight outfield players individually played decently enough to beat Norwich. It's the manager. There's no cohesion, no aggression, no plan. Rafa out now. And yeah, you can't just roll people out there and play pickup. I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't the California penal league. I mean, this is the premier league. Premier means good. Uh, <laughs> sorry. That's just yeah. so presumably. No, I, I, I'm sorry. This is Norwich. I mean, so there's no excuse to that. I mean, no invention whatsoever. I, I don't know what he thought was going to happen in this match. I mean, did you see any planned attacking moves? And we used to give Carlo a lot of crap for that, but ultimately Carlo had us in a very good shape. That was tough to break down. You know what I mean? And, and, Benitez always talks about the short blankets. It's more than that. There needs to be more orchestration. I remember seeing it back in the day when he used to run counters at some other clubs and they were well orchestrated. They knew where they were supposed to be and play. And I'm sorry. And again, year over year, you're looking at some of the same players and they just look much, much worse um, this year. And I just, when you look at the second half, how toothless we were, I, you know, I, I, he's got to go. There's not a single player that is a carryover from last year that, has, I think, dramatically improved or even improved at all in a Benitez setup. You'd be hard-pressed to find one. You could say Decore, but even him in more recent weeks has looked to, to be struggling. And he, of course, had uh, the infamous comments this week about playing in a two-man versus a three-man midfield, which were, I think, perhaps a little misrepresented by the Liverpool Echo. And then the club immediately made him put out a statement the next day saying, oh, no, it's fine. A two-man midfield's fine. 
I mean, I don't think that Adam Jones did anything no, wrong there, too. I thought it was fairly benign. It's not his it fault a- that the Liverpool Echo put it out saying comments on Benitez's plan. It's like, that's a little hard because I thought it was a really interesting conversation. I think Adam does great work. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all, though, if he took some flack from that. But, I mean, come on. You got to ask a real question or two. What else are you going to talk about? But really, I mean, the bottom line is it sounds like reports are coming out that Rafael Benitez is going to leave. We don't know when. Um, have you seen anything formal yet, James? Nothing formal. Tonight? I know we've been watching. Um, obviously, David Ornstein has come out with The Athletic and said that uh, he's gone. We've got Sky Sports reporting it. Most outlets at this point have, have said it's just a formality at this point. We, of course, have um, the official announcement from the club pending. But it seems inevitable. It seems to be decided that Rafael Benitez will depart after just – about six months in charge at Everton Football Club. At face value, you'd have to say it's an utter failure by the structure at Everton to um, achieve any sort of success. But then you look at the real cost of what this guy's been allowed to do before we finally, ownership finally came to the realization that he wasn't the guy to take us forward. I mean, we gutted, we absolutely gutted our entire footballing operation to appease this maniacal, egotistical guy and now we're left with a skeleton crew in his wake, and who knows who, who else he'll take with him. Yeah, let's talk about the real cost here, too. So, I mean, he's rumored to be on £7 million a year. Three-year deal, by the way, which is just inexcusable to me. Who are who are all these clubs that are clamoring for a guy that did no better at Dylon in China? Um, really, Newcastle, I mean, he got him to 10th at one point, and I think... He again, he did all his PR work at Newcastle like he's been trying to do with Everton. So everyone loved him because he wanted spirit and them to fight hard. And he created a lot of his own problems there, too, to be perfectly honest. I think it's arguable that he's not done a good job since Chelsea. So that's a ludicrous contract to give him. So we're going to eat. I'm sure there's going to be a sizable buyout there. Um, let's see what else we got here. So, yeah, director of football. Um you know, he signed a new deal. I don't know how that got settled. Head of scouting, head of analysis, head of medical, all those guys out. His whole staff, some of which had multi-year deals. Um, surely they're not going to stay no matter who comes in. And look, I think even worse. So you sell Luca Dean for $22.5 million, which I still think you can get a little better than that in the summer. Beyond that, though, you only do it basically because he falls out with Rafa. And he had the audacity to speak his mind about his tactics, which are obviously terrible. Like, how is that even an argument? So any sort of person with any sense of self-security would have an open dialogue about that with their players. And and because he clearly doesn't understand his players really well. So that's bad. But think about how bad this is. So you sell Dean. You also get El Ghazi coming back. So you're paying his wages and God knows what loan fee. So was it really twenty two point five million? Because now you're starting to get into kind of a PR way of depicting because i think most people would say well you got a good fee for a guy that's an older player really did you did you have we heard about what the loan fee is james we've got conspiracy ryan coming out yeah i mean if we paid two in a loan fee for el ghazi who's just probably not going to play for us how much are we paying in agent fees there this is kia georgia been being our broker right now virtual dof working with his buddy mendez at get the food for this i mean i'm sorry this is not good business and then we overpay for two young fullbacks so look, Mikalinko, I think, is a decent enough player. Seventeen million is ludicrous for him. That's the most expensive left back of anyone on the market this year. Anyone. And there's nothing about him that says, like the elite fullbacks, people are like, well, downstream, he could be worth fifty million. I doubt that. And let me tell you why. Not because he's bad, but because mostly the, the fullbacks that get 
tossed around and get bought, which almost no one's been bought for 50 million, by the way. I mean, this is a top 25 transfer fee of all time for, for a left back. The guys that do that are guys that are dynamic going forward as well, that are athletic. You know what I mean? Guys like Cancelo, you I mean, know, guys, like Alfonso Davies guys, would go. He, the guys that yeah, Torres want to play for them who tend to attack with their fullbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how modern soccer is played. You know, you put numbers in the midfield and get people up. And I'm not saying you have to play that way. I'm not saying that at all. There's many different ways to play. All I'm saying is if you're going to do that and you want a defensive fullback, don't pay 17 million for one. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I like this guy. I don't think he's a bad player. I'm just saying that's too much for him. Patterson, you know, I, you have to get young players, right? If Everton don't recruit that way, we're in trouble. But you're telling me you can't get a player that's ready to play now, or at least closer to it. You picked a guy that's played, you know, twice at his preferred position this year for Rangers. I, I don't, I don't. And who's more of an attacking wingback at this point. You saw Dean play today, you know, up and down. So, and, and that's fine if you're going to pay for a couple million for him, but we paid 12 million base up to 16. And I've heard the incentives in this thing could make this to be a pretty expensive buy. That's a very risky proposition for a guy. So I look at Frimpong last year, who was playing every match for Celtic, same league, same type of thing, except for he got to play in the champions league against some top competition. Super athlete, maybe not as big as Patterson, but he was experienced playing a lot. He went for half that. I, I don't, I don't understand. I just, I think that's overpays and you're forced to do it for one reason and one reason only because you've alienated a left back and you have to sell immediately. The time to sell the old guys or even the young guys sell at any time. There's nothing wrong with selling players. It's when the market and someone makes an offer to you. It's not that you can't refuse, but one that's like, like everyone should have a sales price, right? You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. And the thing with the Patterson fee and even Mikolenko to some extent, Mikolenko is <laughs> now thrown in the deep end because we sold our only other left back. But now Patterson right. is in a position where people, you know, we had people today say, well, why is Coleman still starting? Why isn't Patterson going in? Because the expectation is if you spend 12, 14, 16 million on a right back that he is capable of stepping in and starting when it's clear that Patterson really probably isn't quite at that level, even against, and they're like, oh, well, it's Norwich. Well, it's still a Premier League team, and the guy has 12 appearances for, for Rangers in the Scottish Premiership, which is miles and miles off. So he's not a yeah. finished article. It's not fair to expect him to come in and make that instant impact. And again, just a huge overpay when we could have got a guy who's more ready-made uh, and ready to step in and fill role to cover for Seamus more immediately instead right in the hole. And he could be good. I mean, I think he, at least of the two, has the much higher ceiling. So I get the theory behind it. But my question is, who's doing that negotiation? Bill Kent. Who has the football? He's a top gentleman, right, but a top gentleman according to Rangers uh, executive. <laughs> and that's, yeah, I'm sure he is because he paid him that much money. And the thing is, if you wanted to make this deal, make it in the summer. Raphael ran recruitment. Here's the other thing. What do you do with Solomon Rondon? So someone comes in, a new coach comes in. They got to play 4-3-3, right? You think they'd play three in midfield. They take advantage of Calvert-Lewin, probably Gray and Richarlison on the wings, right? You know what I mean? Play three in midfield, probably actually give Bameen or Delph a chance to sit, maybe bring in someone on loan, fine, whatever. What do you do with Solomon Rondon? He's a two-year deal, man. Gray is a positive. Gray is a positive, right? He's Anthony, positive. Or, God, why do I keep calling him that? Andrus Townsend, I mean, to me, is worth something in a Rafa setup. But, I mean, unless you want to just pin crosses and cut inside, I mean, he's not that great a player, so... And he wasn't really supposed to start, but Rafa treats him like he's God's gift, partially because he can keep that theme going of he's a hard worker, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's a journeyman, workhorse, all like the cliches for that type of player. 
But nothing against like his leadership. Him. Yeah, leader again in the in the dressing room, a, an advocate for the manager, as we said at the time he was signed. But what's a new manager going to come in and start Anders Townsend week in week out? It felt really uh, again stubborn. A key theme of Rafael Benitez's tenure. So you talk about that. That's the cost, though. That's the cost, right? That's the cost of you know not having a, an identity and not buying managers in accordance to that identity. And then, of course, we mentioned it, but the entire medical team, Dan Donaghy, Marzell Brands is gone. The scouting and analysis heads. Wait, wait, how's the medical thing going? Rafa's got new guys in and does all this injury prevention stuff, right? Like Mina, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, how'd that go? Yeah, rushing guys back. It's only as effective as uh, little pressure the manager has because the second he was under pressure for his job, any consideration about injuries went out the window. He was rushing guys back, risking them, and obviously backfired on him a few times. And not to, you know, I don't think anyone's – people are pleased with Rafael Benitez leaving, as appears to be the case. No one's thrilled with the current state of Everton, but we do, I think, Ryan, have to uh, – we'd be remiss if we didn't give ourselves a little pat on the back because we've been predicting this since day one, that all of these sorts of things would happen, that he would come in, he would freeze people out, that he would disrupt the club. He would try to consolidate power and control. He would run a PR machine on Everton fans, cast a spell on some of them, convince them that he was the best thing since sliced bread. And fortunately, many of us were able to see past it. Um, But you had this tweet back in August around his appointment. You said, Farhad must believe Rafa is a safe, less disruptive option for his investment, although I cannot personally think of a more disruptive manager choice. I think that's been pretty obviously proven out. Um, And I I think you made a really good point in the spaces, too, when you talked about kind of the opinions on Farhad Mashiri. I mean, look, it's one thing that this is going to be very expensive for him at a time where we really couldn't take another hit in financial fair play. But, I mean, this is... I feel like this has changed people's perspectives pretty dramatically because this is him going out on his own and making that decision against everyone else on the board and our director of football, right? Yeah, I mean, he had people, he always had people in between him and the decision makers to to take the flack. So when he brought Marcel, everything Farhad had done up until fairly recently, people at least assumed, you know, good intent and that he was uh, making smart decisions. And I tweeted this back in June. Before I think Rafa was officially announced, but shortly before that, I said, I've given Farhad a lot of credit for his financial commitment to Everton, but this potential news on Rafa seems tone deaf beyond comprehension. And it was. Even at the time at face value, it seemed crazy and not to make a lot of sense, especially given the options that were available. But for him to go out on a limb and say, I'm overriding my board, I'm overriding the guy I've decided to make director of football, this is the guy I want he was then going to be held responsible for anything downstream from that. Previously, he could say, well, you know, it, there was, it was unclear who exactly was in charge. So people were pointing at Bill. People were pointing at Marcel. Now it all lies at the feet of Farhad Moshiri, who has to now kind of tuck his tail and come back and realize, you know, cut his losses for, for lack of a better term. And he already, and in such short order, Ryan, just a few weeks ago, he was tweeting and talking to Jim White about how Rafa's the man for the future. You gutted your entire organization for this guy only to change your mind and reverse course after a couple more losses. It just is so it's just incredibly incompetent. 
you can't go into this window with this guy. That was the biggest problem to me. He should have no control over what happens. The other problem is, too, you should not be buying and selling players without a proper director of football. He's basically using Kia. Kia is the one who advised him to hire Rafa, too. And that that I don't get. I know it was an Usmanov contact with Abramovich. And think about how that conversation went. What is Mashiri possibly asking him? Hey, how is Rafa Chelsea? Is it okay? Should I bring him to Everton? That is not the type of analysis you need to be doing. You need to look at what he's done in the last 10 years, which is very little. I mean, he, I'll tell you what. If this guy stayed, though, I mean, he, he'd destroy this club. I mean, I look at what he did in Napoli. He took like a, a pushing the title winning side and got him out of the Champions League in two years. Dumbed himself upwards into the Real Madrid job and got run out of there before they could, you know, had him, you know, do transactions and whatnot. I mean, look, I, I think his lines after the match to me are, are, are sum it all up. You know, his, his comment. I'm a professional and I have enough experience. I've come here to fix issues that have been there for the past five years. The other things are not in my hands. I'm just trying to do my job. Oh, now you're trying to do your job. Your job is the manager of the football club. I thought you were trying to run the entire football club. I mean, you clearly picked on the medical side because you knew better, right? Pushed out the director of football and people, I'll tell you what's going to come out eventually is how he treated brands and how he acted because it was brutal. Um, all these other things, I, I can't wait for some of it. I hope it all comes to the surface. But anyway, Eli Britland has a great response to this at Eli Britland. His comment, you know, about the come here to fix issues that have been here for the past five years. Here's his line. This is great. Except he's like a builder coming to fix the roof. But on the way up there, he floods the bathroom. His ladder falls onto your car in the driveway and he pours cement through your Velux window. Yeah, that's it. So fine, fine. The other things are not in your hands, but a lot of things are. And I'm sorry, you couldn't do any worse. And that's what's important. And that's why it terrifies me that Farhad might bring someone else in. But I really don't think anyone else could possibly be any more disruptive of this. And anyone that cries for stability, we need to stop sacking managers. We didn't sack Ancelotti. And I recognize we need a proper director of football and structure. That's fine. But right now, what would be nice is just having a manager that is good tactically, that can recognize the talent on the team and put them in the right position because this should be at minimum a mid-table mid team. Easy. Thankfully, the bottom three teams are absolutely awful. And yet we lost to one today, Ryan. Fortunately for us, if Rafa is to go, I think there's honestly... We'll probably The time's good, though, James. Like All these guys are coming back. I mean, this team, even with average tactics is going to beat some of these teams that so we need to win now. I mean, the next seven games are winnable, but after that, it gets brutal. It gets brutal. And that's why I think that's what Farhad must've been thinking. If he was in fact watching today, allegedly he was in Liverpool yesterday for talks with Benitez, which were reported as positive. I can only imagine what that conversation was like, but you're looking at it. Look, we, we just got beat by Norwich. We barely scraped by Hull. You're staring down the barrel of now five or six, as you said, seven must-win matches. And if you can't convincingly beat those two teams, who else are you going to be able to convincingly beat? Could we? Is there anyone in the Premier League that Everton fans going up against with Rafa Benitez at the helm would feel comfortable or confident of beating? Because I don't think there is. And I think there's about 19 better managers than him in the league at the moment as well. So I'm glad that it seems like this reign of terror and pain is over because I know plenty of fans who have just become so disillusioned and so frustrated with the club that we all invest so much emotionally and, and time-wise into that at least now we can kind of step back, reflect a little bit, relax, hopefully get someone in to just get a few wins on the bounce. And then, as you said, Ryan, if we remain healthy, this could be the opportunity to build some real momentum going into the latter half of the season.
I agree. I, I just think at this point, you just need someone that's got some experience. I, I don't know if Duncan's the right answer, mm. uh, but I really don't know what Duncan's philosophy is. I mean, he was parking the bus kind of last time he, he was brought in, but I don't know if that was him being pragmatic. Um, he's got the badges and everything, too. Uh, I know tough TV guys speak very highly of him. But again, I, I you know, we just don't know. You know, he just doesn't have the body of the wor- work. I, I, I would hope he at some point ventures out somewhere and gets it, you know, yeah. because we all love Duncan and appreciate him. But I, I really think someone that can just experience that plays the style of play that I think makes sense. This team is born to play the four three three. Half these players are recruited to play that. Most of these players, frankly, I think are better off in some sense of a pressure system. Almost all of them were bought that way. Even the guys last year, the brands bought for Carlo. If you think about Godfrey and Decore, these guys are used to playing higher pressure. Hummes, no, but he's gone, so it doesn't matter. Alon can play that way too, as long as he has someone behind him. And and so really, I don't think it would take much to get this team playing better. Um, and I'm hoping he opts for a smart manager. What I'm scared about, though, is that we'll see someone like Nuno come in. who I don't mind as a manager, but what I mean is that signifies Mendez has his claws in Everton. Right. You know, and it's agent speak. And now he's going to do just like he did with Spurs last year. He's going to push players on them. It won't be like Wolves because they bought in literally to guest of food. But um, yeah, I, I, that's my only concern. That's what I think we have to watch. I would love for him to hire a director of football very quickly. I think that would be lovely. If, but I don't know if he's had any conversations. I mean, it terrifies me to know that Dan Ashworth might go to Newcastle. Like, that's what you do. Look at a team like Brighton that's well-organized, done very well, very consistent, very strategic. If he hired a guy like that, knowing there's no way that guy would come in without having assurances that he'd rule the roost, that that would be the most positive thing Everton could do right now. 100%. I think you have to look at it if you're Farhad Mashiri. And as fans, if you're looking and, and monitoring to see what are Everton going to do next, are we going to finally you know, change direction? I think the first thing you would want to see is Farhad saying, look, I've chosen all the managers under my tenure so far. I've botched most of them. Let me hire a director of football and then get the heck out of the way and let this guy pick the next manager. Now, the time crunch, obviously, depending on I would imagine it'd be Duncan Ferguson on an interim basis. And as you said, Ryan, I think people maybe are looking at that potential appointment on a long-term basis with rose tinted glasses, because we got results when he was in charge, but it really wasn't super attractive football is four, four, two back to basics, really old school English stuff, which is fine. And maybe some people want that, but point being, you want to get a director of football in place and not have your owner making these managerial decisions, because clearly we've got some agents, super agents who wield far too much influence within the club at the moment. And that just can't happen. You need a a seasoned guy who knows how to diplomatically work with these characters and these agents, but not be wooed by them and persuaded by them in ways that you're making decisions that are detrimental to your club for the advantage of the agents themselves. Almost anyone's going to be a breath of fresh air. The good part about Duncan is the positive is he should know the players by now. He's been through so many different managers. I don't know if that's good or bad though. You know what I mean? Some people may not um, feel that way. You know, I know everyone's like, Oh, we'll play really hard for him. I, I don't know if those guys have that type of relationship, you know, especially with some of these guys brought in to be kind of Rafa's guys. Um, but look, I think we got the solution in Anwar Al Ghazi. I think he is definitely going to lead us into Europe. Probably by the end of the year, we're going to go on a tear, just give him the ball. Everything's good. And don't you dare spell his name with anything. Other than all capital letters, folks. It's all caps for El Ghazi. I'm done, obviously. I'm done today, obviously. I've, I've had enough. Like, the earphones are off. I'm done, James. Take us home. Fair enough. All right. Well, that's a good place to end it. We hope. I mean, we'll probably come to you guys midweek with an episode 
Uh, depending on if the Rafa announcement's made, it may be on potential replacements. We also have an episode prepped covering basically how badly Rafa misused a lot of the guys in the squad and what a new manager could do to improve on the performance for Everton immediately. So stay tuned. We'll have more on that. But we thank you very much, as always, for listening to this show. We hope this was cathartic. We can all rejoice. Ding dong. The witch is dead. Rafa Benitez is indefinite or very soon going to be sacked as the Everton manager. So we all have that to brighten up our weekend a little bit after another depressing Everton loss. Now, if you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe and leave us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. We would appreciate that very much. If you want to join our discord, you can do that at invite.gg slash ATP. If you want to find all of our social media, you can either just search at USA toffee pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or go to our link tree l i n k t r dot e e slash usa toffee pod to find all the links to all of our podcasts socials all that good stuff everything you could possibly want atp and more otherwise we'll be with you next time appreciate you and until next time up the toffees <laughs>